our way to the book of Daniel tonight, Daniel chapter number 6, and I want to look at verse 1 down through verse number 10, Daniel chapter number 6 and verse 1 down through verse number 10. I love reading through the book of Daniel, and um, a lot of the accounts we find in Daniel are very applicable for us today, and uh, this particular instance is one that is familiar to us as it leads up to what is known as Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, but uh, we're not going to get to that particular point, but I want to focus on what uh, led up to that in Daniel 6 and verse 1 through 10. And uh, the title of the message is A Lifestyle of Prayer. It's really focusing on Daniel's commitment and regular practice of being a person who was in prayer and walking with God uh, in the face of a godless culture, in the face of a uh, situation which was um, uncomfortable and unbecoming of what the Israelites had known, and so let's look at this text together tonight, and I uh, pray it would encourage us and uh, challenge us uh, at the same time. Uh, Daniel 6, verse 1 through 10, notice the Bible says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground or complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors, the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went into his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. You know, in the scriptures, we have many testimonies, many examples of men and women who have lived lives of faith, and we have many valuable lessons that we can glean for our own Christian life. Uh, from their lives. And one of those great examples is Daniel. And this is just one example throughout this book. You read chapter 1, you read other chapters, you're going to find Daniel is a great example of the Christian life for us today in various areas. But considering Daniel for a moment, he was a younger man when he was taken from his homeland, Israel, and taken captive to Babylon. We know that God sent judgment upon Israel, upon Jerusalem, because of their sin and idolatry. And uh, many of them were killed, many of them were taken captive. And so Daniel is one of those that's been hauled off to a distant land, to an unknown culture, and he is expected basically to be rewired, to be remolded into the Babylonian way of life. But that is not what's going to happen with Daniel. 
And why is it that that Daniel would not conform to the culture he's been submerged in? It's because Daniel knew the true God and his heart is committed to the true God. He knows that uh, God is the one, that the Lord is the one true God and that uh, his law is the one true word. And so Daniel and his great faithfulness to the one true God would end up actually influencing Babylon more than Babylon would influence him. And I think there's a great principle for that as for us as Christians. Uh, because when we look at the world around us, what does the world seek to do to the Christian? To conform the Christian to the culture, to the world around us. But the Bible teaches us that it should be the opposite. It should be the opposite when it comes to the Christian life. We ought to be affecting the world around us, not the other way around. But when we think about affecting the world around us, think about having an influence, making a difference, that sort of effect is really not possible without the kind of faithfulness that we see here from Daniel. It's a faithfulness that ought to challenge each and every one of us. In this account, we're familiar with Daniel. If you read through the rest of the chapter, he's going to be thrown into the lion's den. And, you know, growing up as a child, I mean, that's one of my favorite accounts to read about. I mean, thrown into a lion's den, what a... What a a grave situation and how God sent his angel to shut the mouths of the lions and kept him safe all night. And uh, what a wonderful uh, account this is for us. But the most important part of the account really is not Daniel in the lion's den, but Daniel before the lion's den. What leads up to that? Why is it that Daniel's thrown into the lion's den? What, uh, what, what, what was it that cost him this to, to, to be under such a punishment? We find that in the life of Daniel that he was faithful to the Lord, and that's really what it boils down to. But specifically, I want us to see tonight that Daniel had a uh, consistent life of prayer. And that life of prayer and his refusal to compromise that really is what leads up to him being thrown in the lion's den. So notice with me a few points from our text I want to bring to our attention that lead up to uh, really the focal point of verse 10. But notice in our notes tonight we notice the preference of Daniel in Babylon. The preference of Daniel in Babylon because Daniel was preferred. He has a great preference upon him uh, as a Hebrew in the land. And we see that in our text. Notice letter A that Daniel, he is given a great authority in the land of Babylon. It says to us in uh, verse, uh, verse 1 and 2 how that uh, Darius, he's looking to set over the kingdom 120 uh, leaders or satraps, and Daniel's one of them. Now, we look backwards just a little bit before this, and Daniel, a servant to Babylon, started in chapter 1. And we see why that is. Look, look at Daniel 1 and just re rehearse for a moment a couple verses that set up the rest of the book. Daniel chapter 1, we remember how, how King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, he sought out to have some of the gifted young men uh, in of, of Israel to come and be part of them. And the king wanted to basically train them in the way of the Babylonians. But we notice in Daniel 1, we find that he sought in verse 3 and 4, then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. And so among those youths was Daniel. 
as well as the other three Hebrew boys we're familiar with, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, those are the names we're probably most familiar with. But Daniel's one of those special men that got the attention of the leaders of Babylon. And so throughout Daniel's time in Babylon, he has been a great asset to whatever king was in rule. What's amazing is Daniel serves throughout several different kings as he's there in captivity. Uh, we, we think of Nebuchadnezzar, we've got Belshazzar, the last ruler of Babylon. Then it, we come up to some others uh, through, throughout that, that historical narrative, but ultimately it comes down to the Medes and the Persians in our text here. A new ruler, his name is Darius. Darius, and Darius was a Mede. And so Darius, we find, was well favored by the Babylonian Empire, but now the Medo-Persian Empire is taken over, and how's Daniel going to fare under them? Well, he's got pretty much the same kind of status here. Look at verse 1 and 2, and what does Darius think of him? Darius sought to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, and notice this, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. So Daniel specifically mentioned among this great number. Now, what is this particular satraps, this title? Uh, the word satraps, it's also translated as princes. It refers to one who is a protector of the empire. They were uh, providential rulers. They uh, dealt in security and collection of tribute to the king. And so they have a very important role among the empire, the kingdom there, very important people. But out of all those 120 satraps, those princes that Darius is going to set over the whole kingdom, who is it that he has in mind to be the top one, number one? It's Daniel. Daniel, someone who's not even ethnically Babylonian or Persian. He's a Hebrew. He's an Israelite. He's a Jew. He's so highly regarded in verse 3. It says of Daniel, he planned to set him over the whole kingdom, over all of it. Now, it's a good thing, I guess, sometimes to be, want, to be promoted and wanted by the boss. I mean, it's good to have their attention and, uh, you know, climb up the ladder a bit if, if God allows that. But what we find is that Daniel, Daniel wasn't seeking to find that. He wasn't seeking to be the top dog, but rather the king is seeking him. The king is seeking him, seeking to put him in that position rather than Daniel seeking to put himself in that position. And so it must have been evident that Daniel's reputation was well known by the Medo-Persians when they took over the kingdom from Babylon. So, within this, I think we see a grander picture. We see something with regard to Darius and with Daniel throughout all of Daniel's time in captivity. We see, the, we see through the scriptures here the hand of God's providence is basically what it boils down to. God's providence over Daniel. God's providence and sovereignty over the kings in that foreign land. You know, Proverbs 21 20, and verse 1 tells us, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So ultimately what you find is that the Lord is the one who governs the hearts of men. And with these kings... He has given favor to Daniel and others, but specifically we see Daniel here. It reminds me of Joseph, how God put his favor upon Joseph. In all those situations that he was in, he found favor inside of the leaders who were over him and, and who were governing him. And so while the king is showing his favor upon Daniel, I think it's important we see, more importantly, that God's favor is upon Daniel. 
Now, notice with me letter B tonight. We see God uh, showing this favor and how Daniel, he is preferred. He's given great authority. But notice with me also that Daniel possesses a gracious attribute that really comes from the Lord. In verse 3, notice what we find. That this Daniel became distinguished above all the high officials and satraps. And there's a reason for this. Notice what it says. Because an excellent spirit was in him. Now, when someone is preferred above another, there's usually a reason, right? When I was a teenager, we'd always like to play pickup basketball games, right? And usually if we did that, you'd have two people that were the captains, and then the two people were the captains, they'd pick, you know, five guys to be on their team. And so usually when you're making your pick, it's based on what you know about their skill, if they're going to help you win the game or not, right? It's not so much about appearance or, 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 or anything else, it's about what they're able to do. And what we look at Daniel here, why is he preferred? Well, it's not about his physical abilities or appearance, but Scripture says there was an excellent spirit that was in him. So that that points something to us as far as his testimony, what's known about him, what Darius knows about him. What does it mean that Daniel has an excellent spirit in him? Well, the word excellent here is an Aramaic word. Aramaic word, some of the book of Daniel is written in Hebrew, and some is in Aramaic, and while we know the New Testament is written in Greek, Koine Greek, but it's an Aramaic word that simply refers to extraordinary. Another lexicon speaks of it as being preeminent or surpassing. So something is unquestionably different in Daniel that separates him from the rest of the princes that catches the eye of Darius. We think about the life of Daniel. It stuck out, his mannerisms, his lifestyle, his attitude, but then there's also his God-given ability of wisdom and interpretation of dreams that he's had with other kings and how he has been used in the kingdom. And so when we think about Daniel having an excellent spirit in him that makes him different, it boils down to one central thing. What makes Daniel different from the rest of everyone else around him? It's one thing. It's the Lord in him. It's the Lord. The Lord is what makes him different. The Lord is what sets him apart. The one true God who prospers him and is with him and enables him to be and do all that he is. Reminds me of Joseph again. You remember Joseph and his uh, situations where he was under rulership in a foreign land. Genesis 39.3, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. There's a testimony there that God is with this person. Even if they did not recognize the one true God as being the only God, they recognize that the God of Joseph is with Joseph. The God of Daniel is with Daniel. And as you see that, that plays into how God would use Daniel throughout the rest of this chapter. So what made Joseph different? What made Daniel different? It was the Lord. And so what makes God's people different in this generation? It is the Lord. What makes us different from the godless culture around us? It is the Lord. He's the one who sets us apart. Now, consider how we see the Lord working in Daniel's life. If the Lord's at work and the the Christian's heart is set upon him, how is that evident? Well, we we see this in Daniel's convictions and the stand that he would take being in that foreign land. We see this early on in chapter 1 when Daniel is tempted or even commanded to eat unclean foods, unclean Babylonian foods, 
that goes against the law of God in the Old Testament. We read in Daniel 1.8, listen to this, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So here's this Hebrew. He's taken to this foreign land, and they say, this is what you're going to eat. But Daniel has the word of God and knows the law of God that says, the law says a Jew can't eat this particular thing. And so what's Daniel's conviction? Daniel's conviction is he's resolved, he's purpose, he's intent that I'm not going to defile myself by breaking the law of God even though I'm in a foreign land. This is his conviction. This, this shows us Daniel's uh, peculiar walk with God, that he is one who is in fellowship with God. An intimate walk with God is what produces the kind of testimony Daniel has. And as we see in this specific text, this chapter, Daniel had a particular practice in his walk with God that sets him apart. What is that practice? That practice is prayer, a lifestyle of prayer, one who consistently prays. You understand that he has an excellent spirit because he is affected by the Holy Spirit of God. And this is true for us as well, Christians. You and I can have an excellent spirit in the sense that we stick out because we walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. That's what sets us apart from the world. The world around us walks in one way, and how is that? They walk according to the flesh. But the Christian walks according to the Spirit, as Galatians 5.25 tells us. Prayer is essential to that. But that brings us to number two. Notice the problem for Daniel in Babylon. The problem for Daniel in Babylon. The problem for him, firstly, is that there is a jealous enemy that's against him. A jealous enemy. And that jealous enemy is the rest of the ones who are below him. The rest of the princes. The rest of the satraps. Now, understand, there's always been and always will be certain people who are going to oppose the people of God. Even envy them. As God blesses his people in various ways, others will without doubt be jealous and even conspire against the Christian. And Daniel faces this very issue in our text. Look at verse 4. Notice what verse 4 tells us. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. So what does that mean? They're going to look for some dirt on Daniel. They're going to examine his life, and they're going to try to find something that they can use against Daniel. Surely there's something Daniel has done wrong. Surely there's something that he has done uh, in regard to the kingdom that has broken the laws of the kingdom. So they're, they're looking and seeing, does Daniel have any violations of the laws of the land or the kingdom law? Did he have any hidden traffic violations or misdemeanors or uh, whatever you would say in our modern day language? They're, they're looking for something that they can bring to Darius. Hey, Daniel should not be this top guy. Daniel should not even probably be one of these princes. Well, what's the result? Notice this verse. They could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. They couldn't find any reason, any kind of a fault in him regarding the laws of the kingdom. Now, that's a testimony in itself. You understand, Daniel was faithful to keeping the law of the land so long as it didn't violate the law of God. He was a good 
Christian citizen in the country that he was in. And that's a principle for all of us in our Christian living. Wherever the Christian is, we have a responsibility to obey the laws of the land and our leaders so long as they do not violate the law of God and our conscience in relation to the Scriptures. Paul taught in Romans 13, 1, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, you understand that when uh, our governmental leaders decide to take steps that uh, bring reproach against the Word of God or cross the line of what God's Word says, that is when God's people say, no can do. When they seek to enforce uh, the things that God's Word plainly teaches against, no can do. Even if other churches go along with what is absolutely sinful in violation of the law of God, no can do. Um, Brother Sue was just telling me how the Catholic Church was publicly promoting gay marriage. They're coming out, welcome all gays. You understand, that's the modern push. That's the modern push. Um, and here's, here's what God's true churches must say. Sorry, that goes against the word of God. We can't ordain that. We will not marry gay people. We will not engage in that sort of activity. And so so there, is a, there is a line that, that, that uh, must not be crossed when it comes to these sorts of things. But Daniel understood this truth. All right, he, he's, he's keeping the law of God to the best of his ability. He's not violating the law of God. He's been faithful and a good citizen in Babylon. Daniel understood this truth, that God is sovereign over the nations and that he puts into power whoever he pleases is put into power. Now understand, sometimes who he puts into power is for blessing. Sometimes it's for judgment. <laughs> I think sometimes we can maybe discern at what times is which. But notice, notice what Daniel prayed and when he prayed to the Lord. He had been, he had been encountering Nebuchadnezzar with the dream that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had. But then this verse, verse 20 through 23, really brings out some things I think is good for us to understand with the context of Daniel and his situation. But it applies to us too. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. You notice what Daniel recognizes here? Daniel says, God, in verse 21, removes kings and sets up kings. And Daniel experienced that. He removed Nebuchadnezzar, put another one in place. He removed Belshazzar, put another one in place. He's going to remove Darius, put another one in place. Daniel understands that this is God's sovereign providence over the nations, over the kingdoms. And he also understands that any wisdom and knowledge and understanding that comes that's also from the Lord. So he understands that he's nothing special in being able to interpret this dream, just like Joseph who said, who can interpret dreams but God alone? You see, he understood that God was everything to him in his life. And so this brings us to the only way in which the enemies of Daniel could get any ground against him in verse 5. Look at verse 5 of chapter 6 and what's he saying? Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. 
So there you have it. They understand that the pressure point for Daniel is going to be on the Word of God. So he's, he's doing all right with all the other laws, but now we need to get a law that violates his law of God, and then let's see what happens. Well, that brings us to letter B here. We find that a deceitful edict is against him. Not only does he have a jealous enemy against him, he has a deceitful edict that is against him, a, 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 a ordinance, a law. You look at verse 6 through 9, these high officials and satraps came by agreement, so they're all conspiring together with this, to the king and said, O king, Darius, live forever. All the high officials in the king of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors, the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce, and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, let's think for a moment about how specific their request is and what their aim is. Why do they specify in their decree about making a petition to any god or man? Because this is all about Daniel. What do they know about Daniel? They know that Daniel regularly prays to the one true God. This is where they're trying to catch him. They know that he is regularly in prayer to the one true God. Why do they make this law limited to 30 days? Why not permanent, right? There's a time limit here. They know Daniel's not going to go 30 days without praying to the one true God. In fact, Daniel's not going to go one day without praying to the one true God, as he always does. So with them examining Dave, Daniel's life, remember, they're on the hunt. They're examining Daniel's life closely. Wouldn't take much to see that he prays to the one true God at a minimum of three times a day every day. They know he's not going to abstain from praying. Daniel always prayed to the Lord God alone, never to any king or other God, only God, only the true God. They were known. They weren't hidden. So would Darius go for such a suggestion? Well, absolutely he would. One, this is a trick. It's a deception, right? He's the new king of the empire, and this suggestion sounds very kingly to enforce, doesn't it? In fact, Darius sees the proposal as a more political a political than religious opportunity and serves to consolidate his authority over those newly conquered territories. So he sees it as a great opportunity to kind of, you know, put his name out there and get his, get his authority well known. But that edict, this ordinance, it would absolutely trap Daniel, and they knew it. This is how we're going to get Daniel caught, guilty, and sentenced to death because they knew that Daniel was faithful. They're counting on his faithfulness to God. Now, understand that faithfulness to God above the pressures of the enemy has always been the conviction of Christ's disciples throughout church history. You remember what Jesus told his disciples. He said to them in Matthew 10, 16 and 18, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, sheep among wolves is pretty dangerous, isn't it? What are, what are, what are, what are wolves wanting to do to the sheep? They want to devour them, right? They want to kill them. They want to eradicate them. So what's he say to them? Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and will be, you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Jesus is warning his disciples about what's going to happen to them. Now, while you understand 
Jesus' words to the disciples, there's direct application for them in the first century. They're going to experience everything he just said. But there's a broader application in general to Christianity because throughout church history, what have you seen? Christians through the centuries have been put to the test for their faith by rulers and authorities who had laws and governments that opposed the way of Christ. And what happens when Christians refuse to bow to secular rulers because of their commitment to the word of God? They have suffered in one way or another. There's Christians right now in other countries that suffer for the sake of Christ physically. Now, we don't have much physical persecution, but uh, we may get backlash. Uh, we may get, um, you know, words thrown against us. Uh, other ways in which we may suffer, but it's not as severe as physical suffering as some others have are enduring. But regardless of what kind of opposition or what kind of ramifications we, we get, the call of the Christian is always to be faithful to the Lord above all, no matter what the cost is. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16, 24, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So here comes the test for Daniel. He's a man of prayer. He lives a life style of prayer. Now there's a law against prayer. What would Daniel do? Better yet, what would I do? What would we do? Notice with me number three, the prayer of Daniel in Babylon. I love verse 10. Verse 10 really is the, the focal point of all of this passage, the whole chapter really. I want you to see two things about Daniel and his prayer. Number one is this, is that he is committed to prayer no matter the cost. He's committed to prayer no matter the cost. In verse 10, we see a turning point. Notice that Daniel knew that the document had been signed. Now, Daniel's not ignorant of the law. He's not ignorant about what's happening here. He's aware of it. He knows all about it. But upon hearing this law, we read in verse 10, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. What do you find with this? This law did not phase Daniel one bit. It did not hinder his regular practice of prayer the way he did. He continued to do what he was committed to doing. He got down on his knees, which manifests his humility in approaching the one true God. Now, you don't have to pray always on your knees. You can pray standing up. You can pray driving down the road. Just keep your eyes open if you're doing that. All right? You can pray on your knees. But this, this, is, a, this is a manifestation of his, of his humility, of his bowing before the one true God. And there on his knees, he prayed. What is it to pray? The very essence of what prayer is, is to petition God. It is to call upon God. It is to bring your requests and your, your heart unto God as, as you approach Him. So, so He prays here. He's petitioning God as every Christian is to pray with humble adoration and giving requests to the Lord. Paul wrote to the Philippians of this very thing, be, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. I can tell you this condition that Daniel's in, no doubt might make us a little anxious. 
by praying openly, you're breaking the law. Breaking the law, that might make us anxious. But here Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. And we get anxious about a lot of things. But Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but instead go to prayer. Go to the Lord in prayer and bring those requests to him. That makes me think, I wonder what his prayer must have been in that scenario. What was he saying to God? What were his petitions? We don't know specifically what he prayed, but we know how he prayed. Notice that he says he gave thanks before his God. He gave thanks before his God. How could one give thanks in a scenario like this? How could one give thanks? How could one not give thanks? 1 Thessalonians gives us this great principle that Daniel's displaying to us. We see this in action in Daniel, but here's the New Testament direction to the Christian. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and 18, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in good circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You caught my, you caught my blunder there, didn't you? Give thanks in all circumstances. All circumstances. This is God's will concerning you. So, so we see Daniel's practicing these two things. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. He, he's not ceasing to pray because there's a law against prayer. He's continuing to pray. But he's also giving thanks in all circumstances. A circumstance that could mean his life. He's continuing to pray and give thanks. I want you to notice specifically about Daniel in this last statement of verse 10. And this is where it all hinges. This is where you see the lifestyle of prayer in Daniel. He's praying, giving thanks to the Lord his God. And what's the last phrase, this last section say? It says, as he had done previously. As he had done previously. So you notice that Daniel, he's not... He's not got word about this law. He said, you know what, I'll show them. I'm just going to go pray. Now, there's a lot of people that like to act like they're super spiritual, and if there's some kind of law, they want to go openly try to get attention. I'm going to make as much noise as possible for their own sake, not because that's who they've always been. But with Daniel, he's not trying to stir the waters. He's not trying to, you know, make a show of himself. This is just how he was. This is what he already did before the law was written, what he's going to continue to do, After the law was written. He's not praying out of spite. He's praying in the spirit. The law didn't change anything. About Daniel's regular practice of prayer. He regularly kneeled upon his knees three times a day in prayer. What a great practice that is. That's intentional. Now that's not a mandate. You have to do that. But that's his example. If you do that, great. If you don't. That's all right, too. But you ought to be a person who prays always. Always giving yourself to prayer whenever you're prompted to pray. This is consistency. This is living a life of prayer day by day. This is what the Christian is to practice. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Doesn't that sound a lot like Daniel here? Daniel was constant. The word constant means to persist in something, to busy oneself with. And this is what we as Christians must be doing. We are to be persistent in our Christian practices, especially prayer. And concerning, considering the, the state of the church today and the world in our own nation, 
do we not have much to pray for? We have so much to pray for. There is no lack for our prayers. But yet prayer, I think, is one of the most neglected practices. And you know why that is? Because it's truly spiritual work and labor. The devil fights against us praying because he knows how powerful prayer is. He fights against our spiritual disciplines. Our flesh fights against it. And that makes me think about Daniel and his situation and me, myself, and Christians in general today. How quickly are our own Christian practices altered or hindered or put off by other things? How soon are we to neglect communion with God over the simple things that pop up in our life? Not even a law against it, but just other things that we deem more important. I'm challenged by Daniel, by his commitment of his spiritual communion with God. But he's not altered, even though there's a law against it. Let us not be altered by anything to keep us from our spiritual disciplines of following faithfully with our God. But let her be, notice about his prayer, not only was he constant in it, but you notice that he is courageous to pray no matter the cost. Because what he's doing here requires courage. Something we Christians need in this day and age. Courage. Boldness. Consider the ramifications of breaking this law. What's the punishment of breaking this law, of praying to anyone other than the king or another god? You're cast into a den of lions. Now, I love nature shows. I love watching lions. They hunt their prey, but once they get their prey, what do they do? They shred them to pieces. Tear them apart with their claws and their jaws. Knowing that Daniel... Daniel, knowing that I could be cast into a den of lions, he goes to his house and prays anyway. Would we have been that courageous? Can you imagine being thrown into a den of lions knowing that the purpose is that you're their next meal? You're their next meal? You see, the foundation of Daniel's courage is this, is that he feared God more than he feared man. And he didn't fear death. David wrote Psalm 118.6, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? You remember what Jesus said? Do not fear those who can kill the body, but rather fear him who could destroy both soul and body in hell. So there's a contrast there that our fear ought not to be of man, but only a fear of God. How much courage do you think Daniel would have had to keep praying had he not been praying all along? Think of that for a moment. You see, when we're faithful to our Christian responsibilities, we'll be more courageous and bold in them because they're part of us. They're our conviction. But here's the truth. If you rarely pray, if you rarely read the Scriptures, if you rarely worship in the church, if you rarely share the gospel, it will be very easy to stop doing those things if some kind of persecution ever comes. And that's one reason we find persecution purges the church. Because there are a lot of Christians in name, but not in practice. So what would cause us to cease from doing and being the Christian we're supposed to be if it really came down to it? I think Daniel is a great example for us that we must be faithful and courageous in our faith. And the challenge and focus of this passage is prayer. Do we live a lifestyle of prayer? Is it a regular part of your life? 
Is it part of you? Do we pray as Daniel prayed? Because the reality is nearness unto Christ, that is priceless. There is nothing greater than communion with God and walking with Him in this world. Because ultimately, our life's going to come to an end, and guess where you're going to be as a Christian? You're going to be with God forever. <laughs> and walking with Him here is the closest place, closest, closest way we can be closer to heaven than we are anywhere else. Prayer. Prayer. Bringing yourself to the throne room of grace. So a lifestyle of prayer. Daniel manifests that to us. And I think as he manifests that to us, I think we have a great example for our own Christian life that we ought to be living that life of prayer like he had.